listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Excited to continue our our message in the book of James. As you remember, we started uh, back at the end of um, I guess the end of January, coming to February, and we're we're making our way on through. And this week, we're going to continue in James chapter four, uh, right where Kevin left off last week. But he James changes thoughts here, and so we're going to talk a little bit uh, about the importance of including God's will in our lives and in our plans. Um, I grew up hearing the phrase, um, well, someone would ask, so are you going to go to such and such event next weekend? Are you going to go to such and such house? Or will you be, and the answer a lot of time, well, good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, right? <laughs> That's, uh, we don't hear that very much anymore. Um, good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. Well, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> you know? uh, well, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. You know, we're going to do it if, if, if God permits, and if there are no unforeseen circumstances that get in our way, we'll certainly try to be there. And, um, you know, I, I went back and I'm looking, well, where, where'd that saying even come from? There's a lot of old sayings, and, and it was attributed to this guy um, named Benjamin Watkins, who uh, I guess Thomas Jefferson had requested him come to, to Washington, D.C., and he responded and said, well, I'll be there, the good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. So I'll tell you, if you want the rest of the story, like, um, who was that guy that said the rest of the story? Paul Harvey. And Paul Harvey said, here's the rest of the story. If you want the rest of the story, you're going to have to Google it because it's not important what we're talking about. Uh, there's, there's, it's kind of cool, kind of what, well, it's not, not that cool, but there's, there's differing opinions of what he was t- even talking about when it means the creek don't rise. Um, I think about where I come from, they called it the creek, right? Going to go play in the creek. The good Lord when the creek don't rise. And so, but it's, it's, it's just slang and it really speaks to the idea that I'll be there as long as God allows me and if things don't get in the way and then I I will absolutely be there. Well, this is kind of what James started talking about here in James chapter four, verse 13 through 17. So we're going to first read through those quick verses. That's where we're going to be today, 13 through 17. Then we'll have prayer and we'll get into um, what the word says. Okay, so first, James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17 says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows to do the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So whoever knows to do the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, God, we love you. We thank you for for your word, Lord, and how it, it gives us instruction. It gives us correction. It gives us guidance. And we pray this morning that we would um, not get in the way of what your word says. 
Lord, that we would offer um, the things that you've, you've impressed upon us to, to say. But, Lord, that you would have um, the, the free reign to speak into our lives, into our hearts. God, give us ears to hear, a mind to understand, but more importantly, a heart to receive the word this morning. We thank you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. So James, James turns his attention to some folks that are very likely part of that congregation. Uh, he, he Remember, uh, this book is written to early Jewish Christians. These are folks who, who, who were Jewish by tradition, but had found faith in Jesus Christ. And, um, and so there were in those times, um, and, and probably still today, there are many of us who have ambition in business. And there were those that were um, traveling merchants, and they would go from town to town, and they would set up shop, and they would trade their, their wares or whatever they had in, in order to make business. And so he turns to them as kind of a practical application of some things that we talked about earlier in the book of James, talking about ambition, ambition um, specifically selfish ambition. And so he says, come now, or, or pay attention. We're going we're gonna to talk to those of you who um, would say, we're going to, today or tomorrow, we're going to go over to such and such place, and we're going to stay there for about a year, and we're going to make some profit. And I'll, and I'll say that there's, there's, it's not, there's nothing wrong with um, having a, a business sense and, and business ambition. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with um, trying to make plans and set goals and, and, and have, um, have ideas of, of what you would like to do. There's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. The problem is when you take God out of those plans. It's wise to plan, right? It's, it's wise to talk through what we should and what we shouldn't do. That's, that's good to do. But where we fail is when we, when we stop giving God um, uh, the, the voice in our life and in our plans. And that's exactly what these folks were doing. Every part of what they were going to do, um, they left God out. The who, the what, the when, the where, the how, all of it. And it all says right here. Who, who is he talking to? Well, those who would make these plans. And the, 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 the who, the, the what, well, we're going to go make profit. When? Well, today and tomorrow, we're going to go. We're going to do that. Where? Such and such city. You, you follow me? Who, what, when, where, how, why? All of it. Sometimes we get ahead of, of God, and that's what was happening here. They're saying, we're going to do these things. He points out to them that to leave God out of these decisions um, is not wise. And we're guilty of that. Do you agree? That sometimes we're, we're going to just go head first into the things that, that we want to do and the things, our plans and, and our decisions without stopping to, to ask God about it. He goes on in verse 14. He goes on to say, um, um, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So, you know, I, I think about this and, and I think about how... Um, we, we try to get all of the information as possible. I'm sure that as they were making these decisions, say, we're going to go here, we're going to go there, to try to get all the information. But we, we miss out all the things that we don't know. Because there there's plenty that I don't know. Let me give you a, a, just a just silly example. Let's say that um, you have this dream house, right? This, there's this house. I'm just going to give you an example of maybe one of my dream houses. Okay, 
So you'll see just exactly how ridiculous my dreams are. <laughs> um, so let's, let's say you got, you got word from a realtor friend of yours. Um, maybe Susie Rudd. And, and she says, you know what? I know you've been looking for, this, for a place, and I've got the place for you. Um, it is, um, now mine, in my, in my dream, it's a two-story house. Some of you are like, I don't want two stories. That's too much house to take care of the steps and stairs. And all. I don't want to. I got an elevator, just so y'all know. So I, <laughs> uh, so, so I got a two-story house. I, I've got, I got my elevator. It's beautiful. It has, a, it has a master bedroom suite, right? So, so not only is it a bedroom, but it also has his and her closets, right? It has, it has his and her sinks and, and showers even maybe. I don't know. It's, but it's a, it's a sweet, it's nice sitting area even, right? So you can sit down and put shoes on. Really nice. It's got my dream house has a media room too. In other words, that's a theater. Like I can sit in there and eat some popcorn, watch a movie. It has a man cave and a she shed, right? <laughs> it's, got, it's got all of it. And you go out the back doors, you look out the back, and it has one of those infinity pools, because it's sitting right on the beach, right? So it looks like as you're in the pool, you just look out at the ocean, beach right in front of us. Does that sound nice? Guess what Susie told me? It's right in my wheelhouse. I can afford it. It's right where I need it to be. I'm excited. We say draw up the papers and we sign it. Well, what's wrong with it? Sounds too good to be true. Nope, we had it checked out. The foundation's great. The plumbing's good. The electrical is fantastic. A brand new roof. All of it. It's just, it's just perfect. I sign the papers and I move forward in my plans. But here's what I don't know. I don't know that in a month, the hurricane's coming through and knocking it down. Or I don't know that in a couple of months, maybe the stock market falls and I lose my job. Now I can't afford my, my dream. And often... That's a, a large example, but often we do trudge forward in our own dreams and our own ambition without stopping and asking the one who does know about tomorrow, who does understand what is just ahead. Um, there was news yesterday. I don't know if it's, if it's hit the, um, the general, I think it was on CBS and CNN and all over the place, but there was a cruise ship sailing off the coast of Norway yesterday that got stranded in bad weather. Their engines failed and they were topsy through. They had to evacuate the whole thing by helicopters. Now, that sounds great. I want to go on a Norwegian cruise, see the northern lights. That would be wonderful. But only God knows if something like that's going to happen. We have to search out God's will in our lives because we don't know what tomorrow holds for us. And that's what these scriptures are really talking about is, is understanding what tomorrow holds through God's perspective, working in his will versus in our own. We are conditioned to have Goals and ambitions and those kinds of things. From an early age, we ask, we ask our kids all the time, so what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and often it's not in a scope of, you know, it's, there's nothing harmful in that. I don't, want to, I don't want to sound that way at all. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, what would you like? But, but we can't forget to include God in those plans. 
well, what would God want me to be when I grow up? I wanted to be a brain surgeon. <laughs> Hint, <laughs> what I want and what I can be are two different things, right? Um, I, I, my, I don't have the, my hands aren't steady enough to be a brain surgeon. And I say oops when I mess up. Nobody wants their hairstylist or their doctor to say oops when they mess up, right? Um, it's not in my blood to have been able to be that. Um, I would like to have been, but I'm not designed for that. And we, so we have to try to search and find the, the thing or the things that we are uniquely designed for and include God in those plans. Our culture really drives us to be ambitious and think to, about self and to drive and get more and to get more and get more. That's part of our, of our culture. Ambition in and of itself isn't wrong. Don't give me, don't, please don't misunderstand. Ambition in and of itself isn't what's wrong. It's when it's selfish ambition. Remember in James 3, 13 through 16, it says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So as we've said along, as we come through the book of James, often James will, he'll introduce a topic, something we need to discuss and learn, and then later on he expands on it. And this is a good, a good example where he's, he talked about selfish, selfish ambition, and now he's giving us a practical example of exactly what that means and, and what it means to, to have this ambition. It's when I think more about myself and my ambition and leave God out of it. So in James 4, 13, through 4, 13 and 14, he reminds us, you can have plans, but when you leave God out of it, it's unwise. For our life is temporary. It's short. It's like a vapor. You see mist it's there for a moment, and then it's gone. It's the beautiful flower in the morning that when the scorch of the sun hits it, its beauty fades and the leaves and the petals fall. It's no longer what it once was. Danny and I were talking just before service about how um, as the older we get, things don't work the same as they used to. Um, our, our hearing goes. Um, our our joints aren't as, as good as they were, or, um, you know, your back goes out on you, right? I mean, there's, there's always something the older you get. We are fading away. Our life is temporary. And that's not meant to be a discouragement at all. It's meant to put things in perspective. It's meant to, to help us realize that the things of God are eternal, but the things of this earth it's, it's temporary. It's just a, I, my, my preacher, uh, when I was a kid growing up, used to say, this is just a dressing room. We're just preparing for our future. Last week, Kevin talked about how um, the church is the bride and, and he is the groom. This world is like our, our dressing room for the, for the wedding. We're just getting ready 
so that we can take part in that ceremony. But it's temporary. The wedding is just for a moment, but the marriage is forever. You see, we're now just, we're just getting ready for the wedding so we can enter into that permanent and forever eternal marriage. This reminds me of um, a parable that Jesus told. He talked about the rich man in the barns. Um, if we have that, let's pull that up. It's, um, um, there we go. Uh, it says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brothers to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I'm going to stop for a second because that sounds like a good problem to have. I think all of us, if, if we were honest, if we had a business and things were just booming, that I didn't have a place to store all of my abundance, this is, would be seen as a good thing, right? We would say to ourselves, how can I store all this stuff that God's blessed me with? So what, where he went wrong is he said, I have nowhere to store this stuff. And he said, I will do this. So he used the word I. I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods and laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. I, I, I. I will do this. I will do that, and then I will rest. Because, now, now doesn't this mirror kind of our culture today? Me, 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 and not, not what I could do, what I could give, what, how I could help, but I've done this, and so I'm going to take all that I have, and I'm going to hoard it to myself, and then I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to relax, and I'm just going to enjoy all the stuff that, I have done. But Jesus says in that example, he said, God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? You know, I've, I've seen families fall apart after a matriarch or a patriarch is passed on and they're left fighting for the stuff. Right? They, they just, it's, it's all a free-for-all for I get this and I get that. And it, it's like they forget immediately that if, if that person was still here, they wouldn't want that at all. They would rather give all of it away and have their family together than to have the family splintered because they're fighting over who gets what. Agree? Yeah. And so he said, God, you know, God said, tonight your soul will be required of you. And then whose stuff? Who celebrates? Who gets it? Who uses it? 
No thought for tomorrow. No thought for God in tomorrow. It says, so is the man, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So it's, it's a very similar example. And, he's, and James is trying to give the warning far before the barns need to be built to remember that in your plans and in the things that you do, make sure that you include God in those things. It's an important lesson not to be focused on our possessions. It's a case study in selfishness versus generosity. Is my life, is my life earmarked where people, would people think of me as being a generous person or a selfish person? It's a case study in pride versus humility. It's about, look what I done. Versus, I, I can't believe God's, God's blessed us like he has. It's about earthly wisdom versus godly wisdom. I think it's, it's, it's absolutely okay to celebrate the success. That it's, it's about moderation, right? It's a condition of the heart. It's no way is this scripture telling us that we can't be successful, successful and we can't have ambition and we can't, we can't, um, um, you know, look after things for our family. That's not what it's saying. It's saying God has to come first in those things. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. In other words, it was my hard work that got me here. I'm proud that everything that I have, I worked for. Heard that? These are things just, it's just part of our, our culture. I, I probably, I think I've said that before. I was not born with a silver spoon in my mouth. In other words, it, nothing was given to me. My, um, my, my family, um, I'm the first to graduate college in my family. And when I started going to, to college, my mom actually asked me, um, what do you want to do that for? You know, why would you want to, why would you want to do that? What's, what's down that road? Um, well, it was about, um, accomplishment, achievement, and, and living up to, um, the, the, my employer's, uh, trust in me. That I, I can be the best that I can for them. But it, it's, it's, it's just that I, I didn't have um, those things handed to me. I worked for them. Be careful because there's pride in that. No, God gave me opportunity. God's grace. I would love to tell you the story. I've, I've worked at State Farm for 20 years. And I would love to tell you the story one time about how I even got to work there. It was a God thing. Right place, right time, and a flip of a coin that I lost. And now, 20 years later, I have a career um, at, a, at a great company. That had nothing to do with me. I had not gone to college at that point. I had not been prepared. I was not a prime candidate 
But someone believed in me. And you know who it was that believed in me? It was God preparing a way for me. Nothing, uh, there's, there's no other way to explain that in my, I can see that in my life. Those are easy ones. But it's, it's, it's easy to forget when you get down the road just how much of it was God. In verse, James 4, verse 15, it says, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Good Lord will and the creek don't rise, right? If, if, if the Lord wills, then we'll do that. But I, I want to I even caution us there because it's not, it's not hocus pocus by focus, right? It's like, it's like prayer. Um, it's not the, the, in the, you know, you pray and you say in Jesus' name and it's done because, we, it, because the Bible says we should pray everything in the name of Jesus, well, that just means we're, we're, we're able to come to the throne by the power of God through Christ because he gives us that access. So we come in Jesus' name because he gave us the, the ability to come in Jesus' name. But it's not, those aren't magical words that all of a sudden make our, everything we just prayed for okay. Well, because I said in Jesus' name, so done. And so is it here. It's, it's, it's not it's not just being able to tag on the back end of the statement if the good Lord will and the creek don't rise. That's not what that's talking about. It's kind of like, you know, in the South, there's a saying, bless her heart. Yeah, because that forgives everything else you just said, right? You can say whatever mean thing you want, as long as you say, bless her heart, and then it's okay because now you're, you know, you're sensitive to her feelings. Bless her heart. And, and, and so this is, kind of the same thing. If we're not careful, we just throw on the tagline, good Lord willing, we'll do this or that. It's not just the words. It's a condition of the heart. It's looking for God's will truthfully to be part of every decision and everything that we do, part of my path in life. It's about acknowledging God's sovereignty. Sovereignty. It means possessing supreme or ultimate power. To me, what sovereignty means is that he is God and I am not. He is God and I am not. Who better to go to as a mentor? Who better to go to as a consultant? Who better to go to with our plans, our wants, our desires, who better to go to with our ambition than to God and say, this is what I like. But God, will you show me what you like? Would you show me what your will is in our, in our life? You know, I think often we think of God's will as being something that we're, we're all looking for. Well, we gotta, we gotta find God's will. Listen, it's not an Easter egg hunt. He didn't hide his will and we got to go find it somewhere. We're not, we're not just, we're not, we're not searching for it. It's right in front of us. A great test first is, well, is, is that in the will of God for me? Well, how does it measure up here? That's a good first question. What does this say about it? 
And if this, if it's contrary to what this says, well, you got your answer right away. You don't have to search too hard. But it's not always so easy and clear to us, is it? Searching God's will. Anybody watch Survivor? Yeah, you are, is anybody current on Survivor this past week? Uh, no spoilers. I, I, I just, okay. A couple weeks ago, this young man, um, so, so traditionally Survivor, they, get, they go to tribal council. Everybody familiar with this? And everybody votes, and one of them gets kicked out. You ever wish they had that at work sometimes? Where you got to have tribal council? <laughs> so they have a tribal council. Somebody goes. Well, this year, it's called Edge of Extinction. I'm sorry if you don't know what this is, but it's you're five weeks behind. This is fair game, all right, because happened in week one. They get out of tribal council, and they walk down the path, and they come to this trailhead at Forks, left or right, and there's signs there that says, basically, um, if you want to stop playing the game, go this way, get on the boat, you're gone. Or if you want to continue to be in the game, grab the torch and go that way. And so, so far, I won't tell you in case you're not good with this week. He, there was a, a, a young man, comes down and he stops and he looks. And he stood there contemplating. From the editing, it looks like he stood there a long time and he kept saying, okay, God, okay, God. Okay, God. He was looking for some kind of confirmation. Should I go this way or should I go that way? Okay, God. Okay, God. Okay, God. Well, recently, there was someone walked down that path. They come up, read it, and said, no brainer. All right, well, they want to play the game, so it's a no brainer. They grab it, they go. But I wonder how often we come to forks in our life where we just, we don't stop and say, okay, God, is it what I want? Or is it perhaps that's what you want for my life? We just grab the torch of what we want and trudge ahead? Or do we stop and say, okay, God, which way do I go? I think it's a, I think it's a habit. We, we get into the habit of just doing our thing without stopping and asking. Ephesians 6, verse 6, it says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. So that means we can't vote them off the island. Our bosses, we can't vote them off the island. That's what that says. Obey your earthly masters for fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service. In other words, just don't make it just look like you're doing a good job, but actually um, um, uh, as bond servants of Christ, do the will of God from the heart. So what that scripture is referring to is, is us as, as employees, do your job as if you're doing it for God, as you're doing it for Christ, and not for people around you as people pleasers and just trying to make it look like you're doing a good job, but actually do it as if you're doing it for him. Because that's the will of God. What's the will of God in your job? 
do the best you can for, for him. Because you're wearing his name as a Christian. Show up and do your best. In my world, that's a 3-3. Three, three. <laughs> okay? They don't give 3-3s three, anymore, do they, Stacy? <laughs> um, that's, that's our performance review. We, ours are one, twos, and threes. A two-two means you're doing exactly what you were supposed to do. Um, and that's what they give most everybody is a two-two. But you got to work like a three-three. You got to work like, like it's your own business. You got to work like you're writing the check. Otherwise, are, are, you, are you doing it to please God? Are you doing it to please man? You're doing it to please yourself. That's what that's really speaking to him. But I'll, I'll tell you, without seeking God's direction and everything, God sees it as us being boastful and arrogant. Now think about that. Let's say you have um, a person in your life, whether it's a child, um, whether it's a friend, uh, whether it's a, a family member, that everything that they have, you provided, you gave. And yet they go around and tell everybody, oh, this is, this is my stuff. Look what I have. Look what I did. Look what, I've, what I have obtained. I, I, I. Would that get under your skin? After a while, you'd be ready to just, okay, we're, we're going to maybe not cut them off, but we're going to scale back a little bit at least. And that's how God sees, sees it as boastful and arrogant. Whenever we don't give him um, the... Uh, the credit, the, the opportunity to speak into our lives. None of us like people who are boastful and arrogant. Have you ever met anybody like that? I had a guy that I played um, baseball with years ago, and he was just the best thing. I mean, he, he was good, but the problem was he knew he was good. And nobody else was as good as him. And the only reason the team ever won was because he was there and he was on the team and he did this and he did that. And after a while, you're like, okay, man, you know, I mean, there's all these other guys around you. It's a team effort, but there's always that one. Their favorite word is I, right? Their favorite thing is the mirror. And their favorite thing to do is to cut everybody else down because it makes themselves feel better. Nobody likes that. And that's, that's boastful and arrogance. And yet, that's what God calls us when we decide we're going to make our own plans and do our own thing and go our own direction. Boastful and arrogant. In our relationship with God, at its best, that attitude is atheistic. Would you consider yourself an atheist as a Christian? No. But when we live like God doesn't exist in many parts of our life, that's an atheistic attitude. At best, it's atheistic. At its worst, we know God exists, but we just ignore his will in our life. And that's an even worse place to be. Ignorance is bliss, right? If I don't know... That's one thing. But when I know and I choose to ignore it, whew, ouch. 
So in James 4, 17, there's a, there's a really simple statement. He says, so whosoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So, so when you know the right thing to do and you fail to do it, it's sin. So, I mean, it ties in here in a couple of ways. Number one, you know the right thing to do is seek God's will in your life. So when we fail to seek God's will in our life and the decisions and the things that we do, that's sin. That's what the, what the scripture says. That's, that's a hard pill to swallow. Because we don't think of it in that, in that term. Oh, I'm just doing my thing. This is what we call a sin of omission. We're all familiar with sins of commission. Things that you, you've committed a sin. You, you stole, you lied, you cursed, you murdered. Hopefully not. Um, but those are sins of commission, things that you've, you've physically done. And when you do it, you know it's wrong, it's sin. But this is referring to the things that you don't do, that you, you knew you should, but you didn't. That's also, God looks at it and says, you know what? When you know the right thing to do and you still decide not to do it, eh, wrong answer. You can never go wrong by doing what's right, right? You can never go wrong by doing what's right. Sometimes it costs you. It can be costly. Doing the right thing is not always the easy thing. We are not water. We should not just take the path of least resistance. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's uphill. Sometimes it goes against the, our logic and the things that we would want to do or even like to do. But still, the right thing is always the right thing. And it's often easy to identify the right thing to do. We struggle. And if, I would say that if you find yourself trying to justify an action or justify something, it's probably the wrong answer. If you have to justify it, red flag. I have to convince somebody that might be a red flag. It's never, it's never bad to do what's right. To know to do God's will, desire and fail to do it is sin. We have an example of this, um, the Good Samaritan. In Luke 10, um, Jesus was responding to a, a, question, a, a question that he received because he, he, he said, you need to be a, a good neighbor. You need to be neighborly. And the, the question was, well, who's my neighbor? Right? Had to be a teenager because they're looking for the technicality. Right? Is it just the guy on the left and the right and across the street from me? That's who I'm good to? And so Jesus responded in this, in this story about the Good Samaritan. He said, a man was going down from, Jer- from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him, beat him, departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. Now, this guy's laying on the side of the road. I don't know if he's conscious or if he's not, but I'm just imagining that he's laying there with a couple broken legs. He can barely hold his head up, and he sees a priest coming. He's like, oh, thank you. Surely 
that guy will help me. But when he saw him, he passed by on the other side, um, avoiding God's will. We just avoid it. We're going down the road and we see we could probably help there, but we avoid it. Um, I, you know, plausible deniability. I didn't, I didn't see him, you know. So likewise, a Levite, um, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. It's another dude who should have stopped and would have been known as someone who should have stopped, who should have helped. But they too continued and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, so a Samaritan was, um, was seen as the Jewish nation as an outcast. They're the people on the other side of the tracks. They're, they're, those are people we don't associate with. And that Samaritan was coming down the road and he saw him and he had compassion and he stopped and he helped. So what does stopping and helping look like? Well, in this example, it wasn't just picking him up and getting to a place of help. He did that. He bound up his wounds. He, he, he helped get him cleaned up. He set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. And not, he didn't stop there. He took care of him, but then he also said, hey, here's some money and I want you to take care of him and whatever more you spend than what I'm giving you, you, you tell me and I'll pay you whenever I get back. Wow, above and beyond, right? That's helping and, and assisting and looking after the good Samaritan. And so the question was, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers? And what's the answer class, as Kevin likes to say? The good Samaritan, right? The third one. And he said, you go and do likewise. No, the priest and the Levite, did they sin? What do you think? Yes, because they knew the right thing to do and they chose not to. Sins of omission, things that we don't do. Reading one of the commentaries, um, John MacArthur, he said this, the last, one of the last statements in, regarding this section. His statement was, a strong desire to do the will of God is a sure mark of a transformed life. Say that one more time. A strong desire to do the will of God is a sure mark of a transformed life. As we've come through the book of James, we have talked about um, measuring sticks, building, practical things to way to live our life, indicators of how we know we're maturing in our relationship with God. And this is another one. Am I actively seeking God's will in the decision and the things that I do? I would ask, how much of our lives are in disorder because we followed our own wisdom instead of seeking God's will and direction? In a couple of weeks, um, 
there's a Financial Peace University starting April 3rd with, with Miss Susie. There's a little commitment per family. But I would encourage each of us to, to try to attend those sessions. Because I'm about to ask, do we trust God in our finances? Or do we sow seeds of financial hardship and then treat God like a spoiled rich kid asking daddy to bail us out? Right? We just do, 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 and then we just, God, Father, I, I need you. And we seek his will after we're in trouble. And what he's just asking simply is, hey, why don't you and I sit down and talk about it before you go make that decision? What about our jobs? Do we toil in jobs and we're miserable in what we're doing because we didn't seek God's will and the opportunity? Man, we're thankful for the paycheck. But is that where God would have us spending our time and our talents? And sometimes, listen, I'm, I'm preaching to myself through all this section right here because you know what? It's a means to an end, right? I've been where I've been for 20 years. And I'm addicted to the paycheck. It's a means to an end. It provides a, a, a nice life for me and my family. I'm thankful for State Farm. I really am. I mean, my, I work there. My wife works there. Our daughter works there. Um, they, it, it, it has provided for us. And I'm thankful for that. But I often, I have often stopped. And is this really how God would want me using my talents and my time? Did I seek his will? Well, I can tell you the story, and I did seek his will. I, I, I can tell you that. But I don't know in every decision and job I've taken throughout my career that that's exactly where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing. I don't, I don't know that. God has worked things out to the good for me in spite of me. What about our families, our marriages? how we raise our children, how we raise our grandchildren. Are we seeking God's will in those things? How much better could, could our life be in our relationship with God if we would just put God at the center of it? Well, what's done is done. The path we've, we've been on, it's the path. You can't change that. You can't unmake a decision. But what you can do is start a new path today. Start anew. Start with prayer. Start with seeking God's will. I've got a few scriptures here I'd like, I'd like to share with you um, as we pray. Because I'm, I'm a firm believer um, in praying the scriptures. And what I mean by that is using Bible verses as, as my heartfelt want, as where, where, what I hope f- for God in my life. Psalms 119 verse 105, it says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
Isn't that a good way to start a prayer? God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. Psalms 119 verse 133 says, Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Psalms 143 verse 10, Teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. These are just three examples of scriptures that we can embed in our heart as part of our prayer life to say, God, lead me. God, direct me. Give me your will. I have a decision to make. We have ambitions. We have goals. We have things we would love to see accomplished. But God, is that what you would want in my life? Lord, be a lamp to my feet and a light in my path. God, steady my steps and allow no sin or thing to get in the way and take dominance over me that would cause me to not be in your will. Teach me. You're my God. Teach me because you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, for... As I said earlier, for the instruction, for the correction, for the advice. God, I pray that each of us, that we would start fresh today in our path, in our walk with you, that we would seek your will. God, if there's any here who, who's not a Christian and they've not started down that path, Lord, I just pray that they would um, acknowledge who you are, Lord, that you died to cover their sin, Lord, that you forgive them. Cast their sin as far as the east is from the west. Lord, that you will create in them a new heart. Lord, that you will direct their paths. Lord, and that you will, um, you will save their soul for eternal life. God, we pray for those of us who, who are in that walk. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. Lord, we, we truly are sorry that we've not sought your will and turn to you the way we should. God, I pray that today that we would turn over a new leaf, we take fresh steps in the light of your path and in the glory of your will. Lord, we thank you, God. It's in your name.